0: If you have your Bibles go ahead and grab those Philippians chapter 1 today so we're gonna continue our series called Joy Joyfield and we are three weeks in and uh, Lord willing we're gonna finish out the first chapter this week and so if you have a Bible or if you need a Bible there should be a black hardback ESV somewhere near you in the pew and uh, if you need that Bible you feel free to take it with you today all right Joyfield Paul is writing he's writing from house arrest as we've talked about he's in Rome he's awaiting a trial and uh, he's actually having to rent his own place to pay for his own place to be imprisoned. And so he's there. He's chained to a Roman soldier, and he's writing letters. And one of the letters that he writes, he writes to the Philippians. And he writes with a joy-filled perspective. That joy-filled perspective that we've talked about is that he sees himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. He is a bondservant. He's a slave. And so it's not his life that he lives anymore, but he lives for Christ. And he writes to the saints And when he writes to the saints, he says that we are in Christ, we are made holy, we are made righteous, we are saints in Christ and to the servants of Christ that we all use the life that we've been given in Christ to serve Christ and his church. And so his perspective has led him to joy-filled prayers, a joy-filled partnership in the gospel, and a joy-filled purpose of proclaiming the gospel to all that will hear. And so even last week he said, listen, It's actually been to my advantage that I've been put here because the gospel has advanced. And so this is the perspective that Paul has. It's a joy-filled perspective. So we're going to continue with that thought. And today we're going to look at a joy-filled perspective as seeing life's ultimate goal as Christ's glorification over self-preservation. Self-preservation is something that we all strive for. It's something that's innate in all of us, that we want to survive. Now, a few years ago, I was on a mission trip with our church. We were headed over to a sister church in Germany. We were gonna play baseball for the week and it's a long flight and I was on there and I was flipping through all the different movies that are on there and I saw a movie that was 127 hours stuck between a rock and a hard place. This is a movie about a true event of a man who was hiking in Utah and when he was hiking through the caverns of Utah, a boulder slipped and caught his arm. Anybody seen this movie? And so for 127 hours, he's there trapped with this boulder, and when he finally realizes for his self-preservation, the only way out is to take his multi-tool and to sever his own arm. Now listen, I don't know if it was the time change. I don't know if it was the altitude, but I almost passed out watching this movie on the, on the flight. Like, I, I got dark, everything started to close in, I had to turn on the air condition, (laughs) but I didn't let anybody know, but I almost passed out, okay? And so this is self-preservation, and Paul, right here, he says in verse 23, I am hard pressed between the two. Now, this is the image. He is stuck between a rock and a hard place. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul finds himself in a situation where he feels stuck between a rock and a hard place. Because if I were to die, as he says in verse 21, it would be gain. For he says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This is a joy-filled perspective. So as we jump into these scriptures, let me pray real quick, and then we'll look at what a joy-filled person is. Father, we thank you so much again for your word. As we get into these verses, Lord, we would ask that your spirit would open our hearts. You would lead and guide us in all truth, and Father, we would come to a perspective where you are our life. We would fully recognize that we are hopeless And we are helpless, and you are a God who loved us enough to send your Son to take our place on the cross so that we could have life and have it everlasting. So let's live our life worthy of that. In Christ's name, amen. A joy filled person lives Christ. First one, Philippians halfway through verse 18, 18b through 24. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall not I shall choose. I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Let's stop right there. Yes, and I will rejoice. What a remarkable statement by Paul. He's in this situation where he's going to describe how he is hard-pressed between the two, and I will rejoice. There is a rejoicing that has taken place because he sees that what has actually happened in his life is for the furthering of the gospel, but it also is uniting the church and the gospel because he says in verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit. Have you ever thought that your prayers just don't matter? Maybe you felt like you're just getting words to the ceiling. For Paul, he says, you know what? Your prayers, along with the Spirit, are working. They're working, and I I know it's going to turn out for my deliverance. This word deliverance is really the word salvation. And it's kind of ambiguous the way he's talking here. We don't know if he's talking about his actual deliverance from the prison, from the house arrest that he's on, or if he means that, hey, I'm about to depart from this life. It really could go either way, but what he's saying is, I know that your prayers are working because it's working out for my deliverance. Church, I want you to understand that your your prayers are heard. And your prayers, along with the Spirit, are working on the behalf of those who are enslaved. That there are many who need deliverance, they need salvation from the trap that they're in whether that be substance abuse or, or a, a sickness or a situation that is out of their control, your prayers are working along with the Spirit in comforting them and it will work out for their deliverance, whether it's the deliverance physically from the prison that they're in right now or an ultimate deliverance where they will one day stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Your prayers are working. Verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that wilt will not Be at all ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. The word is is not found in the original, it's actually added for uh, easier reading. And so he really wrote, For me to live, Christ. For me to live, Christ. For me to die, gain. Live Christ. He wrote Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. For Paul, to live Christ meant that he had been crucified with Christ. It was no longer he who lived, but Christ who now lived in him. To live Christ is no longer my life. It's no longer about self-preservation, but I have crucified myself so that I can live Christ. There's a part of us that wants to preserve ourselves, but Jesus says, if you want to follow me, Matthew 16, 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There's a part where we have to die daily, where we have to consider ourselves crucified with Christ. So it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So when Paul writes to live as Christ, he's saying, listen, this is not my life anymore. I am, I'm a bondservant. I'm a slave. I've been made right in Christ. I'm a saint, and that is my service to serve the church and his goodwill and his kingdom. And let's, let's be about what he wants us to do, to live Christ." Again, a joy-filled perspective is seeing life's ultimate goal as Christ's glorification over self-preservation. This was Paul's joy-filled perspective, that he was gonna glorify Christ whether in life or in death. So how do we do this? Well, Paul writes words to the church in Colossae during about the same time. and So in Colossians chapter three, two through four, He says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is Paul's perspective. This is a person living in Christ. Set your mind on things above, not on things below. Not on things on the earth. For you have died to live Christ. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Christ is your life. So the the question we ask ourselves is, what's in my blank? For me to live is what? For Paul, for me to live is Christ. This is the question we have to answer because if we fill the blank with anything that is temporal, we're not surrendering our lives. We're not sacrificing our lives. We're not crucifying our lives. We are living our lives for our own self-preservation and it's really hard to follow Christ when we're living for ourselves rather than for Christ. To live is blank. And if that blank is filled with anything that's temporal, then to die is not gain. Have you ever said, man, I live for that? I just, I can't wait. That's what I live for. That's the thing. That's that's what really gets me excited. That's the thing that really gets me charged up and going. I I live for that. If we fill that blank in with anything that is temporal, it's for self-preservation. Oh, I live for that. Then to die to self would not be gain because I would have to give up blank. I would have to deny myself blank. I would have to put my attention on things above, not on things of the earth. When we're called to live in Christ, we're called to take up our cross and follow him. So how do we do that? Well, verse five, for Christ to be your life, you must, verse five, put to death. Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, Impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. So Paul says, if you want to be joy-filled, if you want Christ to be your life, then you have to put to death the things that are in you, the things that are of the earth, earthly in you. These are a list of things that we would want to put to death. Sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covenantness, which is idolatry. Yet some of these things fill the blank that's in our life. To live is what? Verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul sees that to his benefit, it's far better for him to go and be with the Lord. It's far better. But it might be more necessary for me to stay and serve the church. Paul knows that it's far better to be absent from the body because he would be present with his Lord. This is what 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be home with the Lord. This is good courage. This is something that believers hold to. This is is where we remind ourselves of the thief on the cross. There's actually two thieves. One is riling Jesus, making fun of Jesus and, and saying, all right, if you are the son of God, then save us and save yourself. And the other one says, oh, don't you fear God? For we are justly, condemned we deserve to be here in fact he says this in verse 41 of Luke 23 and we indeed just justly for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds but this man has done nothing wrong and he said Jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom and he said to him truly I say to you today you will be with me in paradise For Paul to live Christ, to die gain, because he knew that to die was just a doorway for him to be in the presence of the Lord, be of good courage. You see, the gospel message is found in this. We all stand condemned justly. We are all sinners in need of a Savior, and yet there's one who hung on a cross that had done nothing wrong, who was sinless, and he took our place. He took our place so that we could have life and have it everlasting so that one day when we breathe our last breath, we can say it is far better to be away from the body because I will be present with the Lord. Amen? That's good news, church. Second thing I want you to see is the joy-filled progress grows in Christ. Person in Christ, and then progress grows in Christ. So Philippians 1, 25 and 26. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So Paul gets to this point point. he says, you know, I'm pretty convinced of this that it's probably better for me to be here so there's a good chance that I'm going to get to come see you and it's going to be for your benefit because your progress and your joy in the faith is going to benefit from this. Your progress and your joy. If you are not progressing in your relationship with Christ then how can you be filled with joy? If you're not progressing in your relationship with Christ, then how can you be filled with joy? If you lack joy in the faith, is it because you're not progressing in your faith? These are important questions. John MacArthur says it this way, the only certain cause for loss of joy in a believer's life is sin, which corrupts his fellowship with the Lord who is the source of joy. Such sinful attitudes as dissatisfaction, bitterness, sullenness, doubt, fear, and negativism cause joy to be forfeited. Are you joy-filled? You can't be joy-filled if you're not progressing in the spirit, progressing in the faith. This is what theologians call progressive sanctification. Isn't that a big term? progressive sanctification. Progressive sanctification will result in a progressive joy in the faith. Progressive sanctification is a process by which the Spirit produces in believers a gradual increased likeness to Christ. That he who began a good work in you will see it to completion, as we talked about this. That he who started to use your life as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, will one day see that brought to completion. That he is working in and through you by the presence of his Spirit to formulate in you the character of Christ himself for his glory because a joy-filled life is not about the temporal. It's about the eternal. It's a joy-filled progress. What's interesting about this is just technically in the Greek here, the words progress and joy are united by the same prepos- uh, preposition. Some of you are like, I, I didn't take really much notes in English, so I don't know what you're talking about. And I agree with you, I didn't either. I didn't pay much, much attention in English either, but they're both modified by the same phrase in the faith, and so if you understand English, then what that means is they cannot be separated. According to this verse... Progress and joy cannot be separated in the faith. So, if there's no progressing in the faith, there's no joy in the faith. And if there's no joy in the faith, then you're not progressing in the faith. Are you following me? So, to have joy in the faith means you must be progressing in the faith. It means that if you're stagnant in your faith, if you're lukewarm in your faith, if you're regressing in your faith, then, how can you be joy filled because you're not seeing Christ work in you the progression that is supposed to be taking place in the sanctification of making you more and more and more into the image of Christ? When we see that He is taking us from one degree of glory to the next, there is joy in the life of a believer, it's progression. As Peter put it, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Let me just take that. You see the whole trinity take place there. Each person in the trinity is working for your movement from this degree to this degree. So by the foreknowledge of God the Father, your salvation, then by the sanctification of the Spirit, the Spirit that's been placed within you as a helper is moving you towards obedience to Jesus Christ. And when you see that there's a God who saved you, not based on anything you did, there's nothing good in you, but by the foreknowledge of God, the love of God, He brought you and adopted you into a right relationship with Him, into the family of God, and now has given you his very own Spirit to work in and through you, this progressive sanctification that you now have the opportunity and the ability to be obedient to Christ because you could not do it on your own. That brings joy to your life. That's joy filled. There's something happening in me that I have no control over. Salvation is not by an accident in your life. God is working in and through you. Kevin DeYoung put it this way: Sanctification is the verse, and these verses has two senses. The Spirit sets us apart in Christ so that we might be cleansed by His blood. That's definitive sanctification. You, at one moment, atonement, were covered in Christ. And He works in us so that we can be obedient to Jesus Christ. That's progressive sanctification. So, you've been saved, definitive. Now, you're progressing because the Spirit's work in you. So, how does that work? Number one, He, the Holy Spirit, exposes sin so that we can recognize it and turn away from it. So, What is happening in your life is that the Holy Spirit convicts you of the things in your life that you know should not be there. And when he convicts you of those, he brings them to the surface so that you can confess them and repent of them and turn away from them. Number two, he illuminates the word so that you can understand its meaning and grasp the implications. Meaning that when you spend time in God's word, it is his divine revelation speaking into your life. God spoke to me today in his word. It was alive. It was active. It was sharper than a double-edged sword and it cut me straight to the bone. If you're not spending time in God's word and he's not speaking to you, how can you be joy filled? If you're not confessing and repenting of sins that you know should not be in your life, how can you be joy filled? He takes the veil, number three, away so that you can see the glory of Christ and become what? What we behold. You will begin to see more clearly who Jesus Christ is. And that brings joy to the life of a believer. So, progressive sanctification is the marrying of God's sovereignty, his foreknowledge. Marry these two, and our responsibility, obedience, to live by the Spirit. Therefore, a believer is either progressing in the Spirit or regressing in the flesh. You're either progressing in the Spirit or you're regressing in the flesh. Regressing in the Spirit is the practice of resisting the Spirit. As uh, Stephen was giving his speech in Acts chapter 7, verse 51, he said this to the religious people, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. You know what this says to me? It says to me that there are a lot of religious people Who lack joy a lot of religious people who compare themselves to others based on their do's and don'ts lack joy there's also a lot of religious people who love the definitive sanctification that I've been washed and I'm clean but I don't really have a desire to progress in that sanctification so I'm not really being obedient to Jesus I just want to be saved and they also don't have joy Unfortunately, many believers are religious resistors who lack joy because there are many believers who, when prompted by the Spirit and convicted of the sin that's in their life, they don't confess and they don't repent. There are many believers who are religious, but they don't read God's Word and hear His revelation speak to them and open up their heart to it. There are many Christians who said a prayer or walked an aisle a long time ago, but they don't know Jesus Christ any more today than they did on that day. And they lack joy. Progressive sanctification is seen more in our reactions than in our religious actions. Our reactions more than our religious actions. Jerry Bridges, in his book, Pursuit of Holiness, which I've been reading and I highly recommend, says our reactions to circumstances are a part of our walk of holiness. The word holiness also translated sanctification. Holiness is not a series of do's and don'ts, but conformity to the character of God and obedience to the will of God. If you want to be joy-filled, begin to see the character of God being formed in you by the presence of the Spirit and it providing you the opportunity to be obedient to Jesus Christ. This is a joy-filled progress in the spirit. Final one is this. A joy-filled purpose lives worthy of Christ. A joy-filled purpose. So you've got a person, Christ. Now you've got a purpose worthy of Christ. And you've got a progression there in the middle in Christ. Verse 27. Only... For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Let's stop right there. There is a gospel purpose for each and every one of us. There's a guy by the name of Rick Warren. He, he sold a lot of books, millions of books because people wanted to know what their purpose in life was. What's my purpose? What am I doing here? What am I supposed to be doing? I can tell you, you have a purpose. There is a purpose for your life in Christ. And it begins with this, live worthy. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. There's a gospel purpose in our being as a believer and our belonging as the body. There's a purpose for your life, both individually and personally and also corporately. So Paul would say, so conduct yourself in that manner. Live out your purpose. If Christ is your life and you're progressing in Christ, then let your manner of life match it. Live in a way that shows others that you are being conformed into the very image of Christ. The idea here is really the Greek term is going to be more political, like you are a citizen, and we'll get to that later in this, in this letter. But it's also the idea of weights or a scale. So if your life, if you put your life on the scale and you say, here's the character of Christ and here's my conduct, is it out of whack? Is it uneven? So what Paul would say is if you have purpose, if you're in Christ, and Christ is your life, and you're progressing in Christ, then shouldn't your manner of life match that? Shouldn't your manner of life start, your conduct start to equal out with the character of Christ? How many people are believers whose lives do not even closely match up to the character of Jesus Christ, who they say lives in them? So how do you do this? How do you conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel? Those who conduct themselves worthy of the gospel do so by, number one, he gives it to us right here, standing firm in the spirit. He says, so that whether I come and see you or i am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. The idea of standing firm is to hold your ground like a soldier. Not that you're going to retreat. Not that you're going to be overtaken. He would say in other places like 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. I love that verse. Just act like a man. That's for everybody, I think, right? Galatians 5:1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Stand firm in the faith. 2 Thessalonians 2.15, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Stand firm. Church means to stand firm on what you've been given in God's holy word. There is a culture that is trying its best to corrupt Christianity to where you're not being held to this standard anymore. You're being held to a cultural standard that is... Always changing. My challenge to you would be stand firm. Conduct yourself in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two, those who conduct themselves worthy of the gospel do so by, number two, striving together in unity and participation. So you stand firm, but then you strive. Strive together in unity and participation with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. I love this because it shows side by side that you're not in this alone. If you want to live a manner worthy of the gospel, it's lived in community. It's lived in the church. It's lived in the the fellowship and the family of God. It is side by side, standing firm, holding our ground. We are going to live worthy of the gospel because of Jesus Christ. Because to live is Christ, to die is gain because of the progression that takes place, because we are being filled with his spirit to joy in the faith, standing side by side. Liam Strauss said it this way, I know of nothing that mars the gospel testimony, as does disunity among God's people caused by self-seeking. Nothing is more harmful to the unsaved than to discover division among Christians. Churches, we stand side by side. Let me tell you something. We need to stand united in the spirit. One spirit. There's a lot of things that we can disagree over. There's a lot of things that we can not agree on. But it doesn't mean we don't strive side by side for one purpose, one gospel, one spirit, one Lord, one church. This is the testimony. So the third one is, Steadily maintain a witness of faith over fear. He says, and not be frightened in anything by your opponents. Did you know that people are going to come against you if you stand firm in your faith? Do you know if you take this as, as God's truth and you say, you know what, this is, this is what I stand on, this is what I believe, and I'm not going to budge on it. And we're standing side by side on it, so all of us, we're all going to stand on this. This is what we're going to hold to. Guess what's going to happen? there's going to be people who come against you. There's going to be people who are going to be your opponents on this. Well, I I don't want them to see that we are losing our witness in that. Don't be frightened by anything. So, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction when you stand on God's word, when you hold to God's word, but of your salvation. When we stand on this as God's truth, It shows them their destruction, that they're living wickedly, and our salvation, that there is nothing good in us but Jesus Christ and him alone. Amen? That is a joy-filled life, and that from God. Verse 29, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Sometimes, standing firm in the faith will cause us to suffer. But our joy is in Christ. I'm going to close with this quote. Tony Marita said it this way, and I feel like he sums it up. Paul provides three ways that Christians should seek to honor Christ. Church, will you seek to honor Christ this way? By rejoicing in Christ. By relying on Christ. And by representing Christ. By rejoicing in Christ. Christ, who is our life. Rejoice in his finished work relying on Christ as he begins to produce in you a fruit that you're incapable of producing on your own and by representing Christ well. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that the gospel is hope. The gospel is life. The gospel is truth. And the gospel is what we stand firmly on. And Lord, I pray for us that we would strive side by side, united in the gospel truth, that your son came, lived the perfect life, and died on a cross, giving us atonement, giving us salvation, and giving us his spirit so that we could live a life that honors and glorifies you. Fathers, we worship today. Let us rejoice in that, in Christ's name, amen. Will you stand? Will you respond?